What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Week 13 DFS MVP. I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com. As always, with my co-host, Matt Savoka. If you are new to the show, every week we go over our favorite values on the FanDuel and the DraftKings main slate, and then bring you a theory segment ranging from the macro to the micro, trying to make you a better overall DFS player. This week, we're going to be talking about interpreting pace and plays. Uh, Before we get into that today, make sure you're checking out our other DFS MVP shows. Every Monday, Matt and I do a cash game review here on YouTube at 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Every Saturday, Yahoo DFS values with Yahoo's Matt Harmon. That is on the podcast feed on Saturdays, both DFS MVP and the Yahoo fantasy football podcast feed and every sunday morning the dfs gpp last look show with jordan vanick on the subscriber only discord channel that's sunday 8 a.m pacific time 11 a.m eastern time if you are not signed up click in the description below to get signed up for the 444 discord and if you don't have access to that yet the price is down to $24 for the rest of the season for the 444 DFS package. And if you sign up and use the code DFS MVP, you could get an additional 10% off. We go through the Super Bowl, so still plenty of time left to get value on that. And today's show is brought to you by WinBet. WinBet is bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting. Get in on all of your favorite teams, players, and sports from boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport we have what you need to win sign up today to receive a special offer a risk-free $1,000 sports bet download the win bet app now use the promo code four for four that's number four for the number four to claim your risk-free bet matt welcome to week 13 hey thrilled to be here tj also gotta say the 24 dollar dfs pass and even under 22 dollars if you add that dfs mvp that is a steal so if you haven't gotten on that at this point this is a great time of year still tons of content excited to dig into this again kind of a weird slate not a lot of high totals and i will say something right off the bat this is where the four for four value metric is one of the best single numbers that you can look at for fantasy football because it actually helps in not just player selection, but game selection. You're going to see us highlighting certain games in our value picks throughout the show. Yeah, we have one really big note on that today. It really helps with um, salary allocation, trying to figure out who to pay up for, what chalk to pay up for. Uh, so that helps a ton. So let's just jump right into it. Um, and we both have a game that we like a ton. There's a lot of value in this game. Which quarterback are you looking at uh, this week? Yeah, I'm going to go right to Derek Carr. So right now, that Vegas Raiders versus Washington game is sitting at a 49.5 point total. It's fluctuated with the second or the third highest total game right now. It's actually sitting at the second right now above Los, Los Angeles versus Cincinnati. And I think this is a situation where you have two offenses that even if one of the big playmakers in Darren Waller is out, you have enough capability, enough firepower where they can both win games with their offensive loan alone. I mean, Derek Carr is first in the NFL in passing yards and the defenses on both sides again are bad enough that they can shoot themselves in the foot to the point where both of these teams are going to score plenty of points. So I'm looking yeah. at Derek Carr at 7,500 on FanDuel, 6,000 on DraftKings. Uh, 
I think with 8.3 yards per attempt this year, even on that massive volume that we've seen, I'm impressed with the efficiency of Derek Carr. He's top five in attempts and in deep deep attempts and in air yards, but he's remained efficient nonetheless. 7.6 adjusted yards per attempt is QB8 this year, and he has gotten help from his receivers. One thing I noticed is that in average separation at time of target, which just how open his receivers are, they're actually number one in the NFL. That certainly helps a player like Carr who tends to have trouble throwing players open, if you will. And the matchup is stellar. Washington is 30th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing offenses, dead last against quarterbacks, and Las Vegas in game script adjusted rush rate they're middle of the road, so they're looking to pass more than a lot of teams here. Tons of shootout potential, decent offenses, two bad defenses. This is the kind of game environment I'm targeting, especially when it's at that third highest Vegas total like it has been this week. Yeah, the um, the values in this game are very abundant, and we'll be using a ton of them in cash games. That That's going to lead to a, a lot of uh, GPP implications, what, which we'll get deeper into on the um, on the GPP show on Sunday morning. But there there are going to be a ton of very popular players on this game. One thing to note about Derek Carr is that uh, in addition to Darren Waller being out or likely out, doubtful, uh, Josh Jacobs was a late week a late mm-hmm. week add to the injury report. He's questionable. So if he doesn't go, Raiders could really ramp up the passing volume. That's already the way to um, attack Washington. So something to keep an eye on there because uh, they they can really uh, end up throwing a a ton of balls this week and and like you said Derek Carr uh, leading the league in yards per game uh, has has a handful of games over that 300 yard bonus mark so liking him and I'm just going to stay in this game on on the other side Uh, Taylor Heineke 7100 FanDuel 5600 on DraftKings you mentioned the the game fluctuating like around 50 points Um, if you consider it the fifth a 50 point game which I think it'll probably settle at of the three games with an over under of at least 50 this is the smallest spread so like you said there is a lot of uh, shootout potential here both defenses ranked in the bottom 10 and schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to uh, to quarterbacks and uh, we'll talk about Gibson a lot later but uh, from a uh, from a passing perspective, I like Heineke in this passing game uh, for for a couple reasons. Obviously, the value, but when we're just trying to figure out how this game can play out, we're going to see a very concentrated target share with Logan Thomas back. We saw him and Terry McLaurin combined for about forty percent of the targets last week with eighty percent of the air yards. Then DeAndre Carter was in the mix with a fifteen percent target share and twenty five percent of the air yards. So he has the players that he really wants to throw it to. Heineke does, and that is helps an offense a lot. Uh, just really being able to dive in on your best players the Raiders have allowed 20 plus Fandle points 24 plus DraftKings points against four of the last six quarterbacks that they faced and Heineke does give you a little bit of a boost that card doesn't give you on the ground averaging about 25 yards per game on the ground and on top of that since week eight uh, Washington is near the top of the league and plays run we're going to talk about that a lot in the theory segment but that is something that we're looking to and they've been training up in that category so i think there's lots of value in the washington pass game but you like the running game as well yep we do and again we're sticking right here we're sticking to the fundamentals of dfs too strong game environment 
to defenses that can both be exploited and offenses that remain concentrated even with injuries. So we're going to we're going to use the value metric to our advantage and say that Antonio Gibson, especially with JD McKissick trending towards out here, is nearing must start uh, a must start tier in terms of our value ranking. Usually 10.0 is that number in our value metric where basically you have to be doing something strategic to not have this player on your roster. So Gibson is certainly there. It was great to see when McKissick got hurt that that target share went to no one else, but up seeing chat that McKissick is already ruled out officially that thank you chat there. We saw a bunch of target share go to Antonio Gibson in a way that we've been waiting for, for this player, because it was basically the thing holding him back from workhorse back status. We're seeing Gibson's usage really change even before the injury, though. Since the Week 9 bye, Gibson had 26 opportunities in Week 10 before 19 in Week 11, then gets 36, 36 opportunities, including seven targets against Seattle. That's fantastic. Again, Las Vegas is 30th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs, so they're equally bad against the run as they are the pass. Uh, McKissick's 14% target share was kind of that thing that was in the way of Gibson. And now if that's gone, I know they're saying that Wendell Smallwood might play the McKissick role. That feels a little coach speaky to me. Washington is already sixth in the NFL in game script adjusted rush rate. So even when you contextualize for the game environment that they're in, they're still leaning on the rush. I like their concentrated pass attack as well, but I think Gibson is just too, has too much opportunity coming his way in a good matchup to ignore. Yeah, and even with um, with McKissick getting a, a pretty big chunk of, of touches last week, we still saw Gibson get 36 touches against Seattle. Now, that was very inflated. It was the, the most uh, cumulative running back touches the team has had in a game this year. But the point is that even if another running back is somewhat involved, Gibson's going to get his. Right now on the main slate, there are four players that have at least 16 touches in every game over the last month. Jonathan Taylor, Antonio Gibson, Joe Mixon, Leonard Fournette. And you're getting Gibson at a huge discount compared to those guys. So he's one of the the no-brainer um, values on the slate. He will be probably the, the most popular uh, player, maybe on all three sides. If we include Yahoo, I, th- I think Alexander Madison is, is cheaper on Yahoo, so down there. But Gibson could easily be the most popular player uh, on, on both sides this week. So uh, make sure you're taking that into consideration if you are building GPP lineups. And you mentioned the value metric on 4 for 4. Uh, Gibson, one of the only players over 10. There's only two players over 10 on DraftKings. The other one is Elijah Mitchell at 7600 on Fandle, $6,000 on DraftKings. Facing that very team that Gibson had 36 touches against last week in Seattle, the 49ers favored uh, by three points. Uh, we have seen five different instances of a team give their running backs 35 total touches against Seattle. There's only been two instances where a team has given their running backs 40 total touches. 
Both of those games came against Seattle, and Mitchell's accounting for 75% of the 49ers' backfield touches in full games that he's played this year. So if they come anywhere close to that 35-touch number, uh, Mitchell obviously in for a huge day, already has 27-plus touches in two of his last three games. He's not going to be losing those vulture touchdown rushes to Debo Samuel. I don't think they're just going <laughs> to magically. Yeah, I don't think they're magically have Ayuk uh, running those plays, even though Ayuk is a good play uh, in his own right. And in addition to all those touches, the points have been there against Seattle. Six running backs have scored at least 20 fantasy points against Seattle. Nine have gone over 15. Those numbers bump up even higher if we look at it from a PPR standpoint. So Mitchell, Mitchell is a smash for me. Um, it's it's just a really interesting week with running backs, and, and I'm going to get into this a little bit with my wide receiver talk, actually. But we have Mitchell Gibson, um, uh, Jamal Williams, Alexander Madison. Um, I'm I'm forgetting another one, but we have like five guys that are crazy. so many, so many. Yeah, like James so, Connor, Daryl yeah, Henderson. James, they're yeah, all yeah. in DC. Henderson's spot. one I was thinking of, and Connor. So like, there isn't a lot of separation between these guys this week in terms of projection. So I think the way to play it is in cash games, especially on DraftKings, but also on FanDuel, like just take the value from salary because they're all projecting really similarly, even though I, I do think like Madison's my favorite to smash. And then in tournaments, like just consider the ownership, like you're not losing much in terms of projection where like you could get a 12% guy this week that's going to have kind of the same ceiling as a 25% guy. So it's a really interesting puzzle to solve specifically at the running back position this week. Yeah, I completely agree. Did you notice that the San Francisco 49ers are giving Mitchell like the star injury designation treatment? Like he oh, has no. not injury related rest as DNPs for Wednesday and Thursday. That's usually oh. reserved for players that they cannot afford to lose. Yeah, so getting... I, I just think that solidifies my confidence in Mitchell as well. He's getting the Kawhi Leonard treatment. I like it. We don't <laughs> Um, load management that's right yeah um <laughs> mo moving on to wide receivers and going back to our favorite game of the week you like the primary pass catcher on the raiders yeah you got to go with hunter renfro here he's an obvious option with darren waller expected to be out eight plus targets for hunter renfro in six of his last eight games so you know the floor was there already before waller goes out now you got to assume that there is an even higher floor and certainly a higher target ceiling i would say double digit target ceiling for sure Renfro, regardless of what he looks like, he is an elite separator <laughs> at the wide receiver position. 2.2 yards of separation at the time of target is wide receiver four. Excuse me, that's 2.2 yards on average at time of target. That's leading to a top 24 QBR when he's targeted. He is open and he's efficient when he's targeted. Those are great things for a quarterback, and it's a big reason why Derek Carr has ultimately been leading the league in passing so far this season. Carr's going to need a low average depth of target, target hog, in this offense with Waller out. Yeah. And there's obviously a debate. We're going to get into who that could be later on. And genuinely, the matchup is good enough here against Washington where I wouldn't be surprised if it's both Renfro and someone like Foster Moreau getting there. But... If we are picking a low average depth of target player, we need red zone upside because they don't have good per play upside. 
And that's exactly what we get with Renfro. He's wide receiver 14 this year in total red zone targets and has a healthy but I think sustainable 6.1% touchdowns per target rate. That's 25th among wide receivers. So we're not expecting that to change ultimately all that much going forward here. Uh, I think this is pretty simple. He's already playing well. It's a great matchup. The target floor is extremely high and the value is there, especially on DraftKings under 6K. I think that's a really strong play. Yeah, and, and I think the the way they're even though Washington is uh, they have really struggled against the deep ball, uh, Deshaun is a little banged up, and he still only saw four targets last week. And his big play actually came on on a crossing route. His average depth of target was like it, it's been since uh, over the last two weeks thirteen point three, which is high, definitely on the high end, but not what we're used to seeing from Deshaun, like in that sixteen mm-hmm. seventeen uh, yard range. So what? So no revenge game na- narrative. I know for Deshaun. I know. Well, I mean, he's he's like uh, he's like Adrian. Peterson he has a revenge game against like almost every team at this point like right, right. My teams. Uh, there's only so many but uh but no but my point is I, I think the Raiders actually do attack um, Washington a little bit more um, methodically than maybe some other teams have um, I mean Brian Edwards have, hasn't even been running a ton of deep routes Zay Jones is running routes but not getting a ton of targets so um, I actually think it, it is just a ton of, of Renfro and, and I, I mean from, from that perspective it you know it could slow the game down on one of the two sides, but the, the, the over under is still really high and Renfro his, uh, he, you don't think about him as like an upside guy. Cause he is like a low average depth of target guy, but if they are moving the ball methodically, he's going to get end zone or red zone targets. And compared to his salary, I think that his ceiling is, um, is, is plenty fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's just a smash value this week. Yeah, a, a going back to your point earlier in, in the podcast about our value scores and using them to uh, really determine how we uh, not just pick our, our players each position, but how we pick our players across positions. And it's the reason that I wanted to specifically hone in on Cooper Cup, who's $9,000 on both sites this week against the Jaguars, the Rams being uh, one of the only two teams with an implied point total over 30 points. And usually, you know, we, we always hone in on our favorite values here. And that doesn't always mean the cheapest plays. A lot of times it is, but this week I think it's really important to highlight Cooper cup in a slate where there's no D ball, no Tyreek, no Devonte. You know, you could even throw Steph Diggs in there if you want to is like that, that elite tier of wide receivers. But if we go to that value score on both sides, Cooper cup has a value score about 50% higher than any other wide receiver on the slate. If we look at all the other positions, the, the gaps between the number one, and the number two in terms of value scores like maybe one full point and from a percentage perspective just like really small like maybe 10 or 15 percent cups the only wide receiver with a 20 point projection on either site it's around 25 on DraftKings, so there's only one other receiver projected for 15 on fanduel only one projected for 19 none other cracking um uh, 20 on on dk so he's like a 25% to 33% projection above the field. Odell possibly out or limited. There's a ton of affordable running backs on the slate. So you could, like we talked about with the running backs, like you can get a discount on ownership at running back, not have to pay a different salary tier and still be it's same with quarterback too. get the same projection from those guys with the value. Whereas with cup, if you're paying down, you're not getting the same ceiling projection. Like his, his projection relative to the field, his value score relative to the field is just lapping everybody. And we've seen him in insane 
smash slate breaking spots this season. So when people are like, when do I eat the chalk? When do I pay up for players? When do I pay up for an expensive player that is chalky? Like these are the spots. I don't care if Odell's out, you know, if Cooper cup, if he gets like a 40% ownership projection, maybe we think about it. I don't think that's going to happen. I think at the most tomorrow, when if, if we get news that Odell is going to be out, like I think he maybe gets bumped up to like maybe 32%-ish on, on either side, but his salary is still pretty high. And I think what a lot of people are going to going to do is is see these um, value running backs and, and try to get in these higher-priced quarterbacks. Um, and a couple will be involved some too, but the point is like, these are the spots where I'm willing to eat the chalk on an expensive player. He's just like, he's in such a smash spot and just such a upgrade over the field. We just don't see it. We don't see it this obvious very often. Yeah. And even if his ownership gets up to that 32% or so, I bet if you ran an optimizer and you, you spit out, let's say a thousand, 2000, 3000 lineup, I bet Cooper Cup is showing it up, showing up in that optimal lineup more than a oh, third yeah, of yeah. the time. So way, yeah. his leverage against the field is still positive, in my opinion, especially with the way this slate breaks down with so many value running backs. I can just move away from the chalk running backs while staying put on this Ram stack, which, of course, is going to include Cooper Cup. So, yeah, I'm glad you highlighted him. He is just far ahead of the field right now. I mean, you can make a case for Justin Jefferson, but that's really about it. Yeah, and and I mean, we just don't see a um I mean, obviously Jefferson has has slate breaking ability, but like mm-hmm. we've seen Cup put up multiple 40 spots and just even like we don't want to live on projections obviously. They they are very fragile, but we just don't get gaps like this. Like the only time we really ever see gaps like this is when it's Kelsey versus a weak tight end field like when like Waller and Andrews and Kittle are off the slate. It's very rare that we get these situations. So I I think we should take advantage of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll I'll go right into my next player here. But I do want to say we're not talking about a situation where this one wide receiver has like a 5.0 in our value ranking and the rest of the field has like a one. So they're not priorities overall. This is a 9.0 or higher player approaching absolute must start while the rest of the field is ho-hum, at least in our metric. A player who I don't think is very ho-hum anymore is Darnell Mooney. I mean, he's gotten more opportunities, obviously, with Allen Robinson out of the lineup, looking like that is trending that way again this week. We know Andy Dalton is in, and I think that's a little bit of a boost Mm -hmm. for Darnell Mooney uh, just to get some stability at the position, if anything else. Since week nine, only six wide receivers are averaging 10 or more targets per game. One of them is Darnell Mooney. He's the wide receiver, too, in average target share during that span, and he hasn't had less than a 20% target share in any of the team's games since week nine. So he's really just turned it on in this second half of the year. Arizona is not an incredible matchup for Chicago. Honestly, what is a great matchup for Chicago (laughs) offense? But Arizona is moving closer to league average in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed than they were previously this season. You know, that's something that trend, that negative trend is something I want to pay attention to, not not lean on entirely, but it's something I notice. And again, with Robinson out, I feel confident that that floor, that target share floor should really be there. So it's a similar argument that I made to in last week's show 
with Deontay Johnson, who's still consistently getting a dozen or more targets in every game. If this team had higher implied totals and there were there was more touchdown upside for Darnell Mooney on a week to week basis, there's absolutely no way we would get him at this salary, 5,600 on DraftKings, 6,700 on FanDuel. This is, as we said, an area of the wide receiver pool where you don't have to get there. But if you are in this middle tier, this is my favorite. Darnell Mooney, I, I like a lot this week. Yeah, and the the again going back to all the value running backs, it, it lets you build really on both sides like a, a cup and and then still a bunch of of um, value wide receivers in this mid tier range. Like we don't have any smash punt plays at running back or or wide receiver, which is usually where we look for them. Um, but we don't really need them because we have so many running backs that that are affordable i mean mooney is he's a guy that uh you know some people might look at things like catch rate which i don't think are important and see like a low one on mooney but he is so efficient with the targets that he does catch he has so many uh big play targets but still has enough volume in the intermediate range where he's fairly consistent if we look at something like four for four's article hop into conclusion sam hoppins article we see mooney near the top like in in any weighted opportunity or or air yards rating anything you look at mooney's near the top since week eight so the usage is just uh is through the roof there he's he's probably my favorite considering the fact that uh there are so many raiders and washington players that are values um Darnell Mooney's probably my favorite value wide receiver, even oh, even over Hunter Renfro, even though in a vacuum, Renfro probably grades out a little bit better. And also just the lone bright spot in what has been a putrid yeah. passing offensive season for the Chicago Bears. <laughs> they need something. Cole Komet ain't it, at least yet. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Um, a guy that hasn't been it lately is Michael Pittman at 6,800 on FanDuel, 5,700 on DraftKings, but we do expect him to have a bounce back against Houston in a game where Indianapolis is favored by 10 with the third highest implied point total on the slate. And I, I think that with, uh, with the Buccaneers, with the Rams, and then with some other offenses like the Raiders and, and, and Washington um, grabbing a lot of focus that the Colts are going to be the uh, team with Pittman struggling recently with Jonathan Taylor priced astronomically. People are just going to be like, yeah, their projection is high, but I just don't really want to get to them. I think Pittman is the way to um, secure a lot of those points for a really good value. And because he struggled the last two games might not even be that popular in cash games, let alone GPPs, but he does really pop in our wide receiver breakout model this week after having two games with fewer than 10 PPR points, but he's still top 20 in expected fantasy points over the last three weeks, not near the top of the league like he was earlier in the season, but still high enough where the the range of outcomes and the ceiling still is really there, especially against Houston. I mentioned they, they, the Colts should score a lot of points against this defense. Um, you can attack them kind of any which way they actually haven't given up a a ton of fantasy points to running backs like running backs have been very good against them but they haven't had these explosion games against them which you would think against such a bad team they would only two running backs have went over 20 fantasy points against houston and that's because teams have been able to attack them so effectively through the air and not just methodically but on really quick hitters they've allowed the second most ppr points per target on balls of 20 plus air yards and, and michael Pittman doesn't run a ton of deep routes but he runs enough where he could take advantage of that against houston 
Yeah, I saw the same thing. If you just look for look at yards allowed per pass attempt, Houston is bottom 10 in the NFL and points allowed per play. Same exact yeah. thing. This is a smash spot for the Colts, and I think people might yeah. be overlooking it. Yeah, I think they'll definitely overlook it. Um, let's move on to tight end and a very interesting game because I do think there's many stacking potential in this game, and I, and I like a couple of receivers, but you like one of the tight ends. Yeah, I, I like this skinny stack too, or maybe something yeah. with like Lamar Jackson and this player, Pat Fryermuth. Yeah. Really excited to see him practicing in full. Looks like he is going to play after, uh, I think he was in the concussion protocol. Uh, and I know if you look at our value metric, there might be a sort of obvious answer that you won't hear in George Kittle. But I picked him last week and he only had yeah. two targets. And now the way that fantasy football works, he'll have 10 targets and two touchdowns. Yeah. But ultimately, I didn't pick him. Uh, Claypool is still dealing with toe injuries in that receiving core. And I was really excited to see Fryermuth have a 78% snap share, which was second. And just the second time over 75% this season actually it was his first is, excuse me, highest snap share this season, not second yeah. highest. And his 28 routes run was also a season high. That's what we're going to see with Eric Ebron out. He's got five TDs in his last five games. Obviously, he's living on the touchdown a little bit, but that's less concerning because we're seeing the usage continue to creep up. Baltimore is now above average in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. That's harder for opposing defenses, but they're really looking like one of the bigger pass funnels in the NFL right now. Ninth in yards per carry allowed this season and 29th in yards per pass attempt allowed. If you just focus on the last three weeks, they're second in yards allowed per carry. That's second best in the NFL and 26th in yards allowed per pass attempt. So if the Steelers are going to keep this competitive. And boy, it didn't look like they could stay competitive with anyone last week. But if they do, they're going to need to lean on players like Pat Fryermuth, especially in the red zone. Deontay Johnson can't catch everything, can't have 20 targets in this game. Uh -huh. So I really think that you could go to Pat Fryermuth as a solid value in the mid-tier of tight ends. Yeah, I like that game a lot. You mentioned Baltimore being being a pass funnel, also running a ton of plays themselves. They're a team that could um, they, they can drag a, an opponent up with them because they run so many plays, but also struggle against the pass. So teams don't necessarily have to run seventy plays to have success against Baltimore. So I, I like that game a lot, and I have to go with the layup here, even though we've <laughs> talked about the game this game a ton already. Um, Foster Moreau five thousand dollars on Fanduel, twenty seven hundred on DraftKings. Kings on Fanduel. I I mean he'll be as as popular in cash games as in DraftKings. Maybe a little bit less, but not much. I I don't think you necessarily have to use him because it's pretty easy to get up to like a Kittle on Fanduel, and, and I I think that's probably a fine play on DraftKings. It is just an absolute must in cash games. Um, there isn't another tight end even close to his salary that's worth consideration in cash. You're opening up a ton elsewhere. He saw six for sixty. Uh, um, and a touchdown on six targets the last time Waller missed a game. We already mentioned Jacobs being a surprise pop-up on the injury report, and that could lead the Raiders to throwing more than expected. And we also discussed with Renfro how they can attack this Washington team with Deshaun Limited, with their other receivers not really doing it in the deep game. They, they haven't, they've really struggled in that aspect of their offense since Henry Ruggs was released from the team. So I think you, you, you pretty much have to use Foster Moreau and DK Cash. I mean, there's a chance he ends up in like 
80% of cash game lineups if you're in a large field double up, uh, maybe even more. So even if he is a dud in cash games, you're just not going to lose any ground to the field. And especially at that salary, it's just a complete no-brainer. He's the only tight end I wrote up for my cash game options. Uh, I, I will say... In GPPs, which of course we're just talking about values, but I think it's worth noting because he is going to be so insanely popular, like might even be more popular than, than the running backs, at least on DraftKings. I think the way to approach a player like this is use him in Derek Carr stacks because if you're going to eat that much ownership, you might as well get like an exponential return if he does hit right like what's the point of just getting his whatever you know 15 or 20 DraftKings DraftKings points if 40% of the field gets that too like you might as well hope that he hits with Derek Carr and maybe another player in the Raiders offense and get that cascading effect with Carr if he blows up so I I think that's the way I'm approaching it if I'm playing Foster Moreau in GPPs it's in Carr stacks totally agree totally agree he's not the kind of player that I want to play in GPPs I'll say as that one-off chalk play after I've gotten contrarian in other parts of my lineup. That's not the that's not the way I want to go with the chalk yeah. in tournaments. So exactly. I completely agree. Uh let's hit on our favorite defenses of the week. And ironically, you're going back to the game we've been talking about the whole time with our favorite values. Hey, this is a great time to remind people about range of outcomes. And I'm yeah. sure we've talked about it on some of the recent game theory segments. You can check out that playlist on the 444 YouTube channel. But remember, just because the Raiders are in a good spot and just because this looks like a sneaky or not so sneaky shootout with the way with this Vegas total keeps creeping up does not mean when there's lots of passing and there's two teams that aren't so great offensively that it can't lead to a bunch of sacks and a bunch of turnovers and just a bunch of sloppy football in general. Yeah. So I really like the fact that it, that we have all these offensive values, but Washington's defense cleverly in our value metric is creeping up into the top tier on both DraftKings and FanDuel because they still have a top five pass rush grade via PFF. Yes, I know Chase Young is out for the year, but they still have playmakers on that defensive line despite that 30th ranked schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. You know the script the negative script for Derek Carr. He's pressured consistently. He gets off his he gets off his spot. He throws inaccurately and he's turning the ball over multiple times. We've seen it before. Uh, and so if they can eliminate chunk plays, which part of the work has been done for them with Darren Waller being out in this game most likely, they might be able to shut down this team. And now Josh Jacobs is questionable in this as well. So when I see a high value score in a high pace and a high total game, it means that we're likely banking on turnovers here. I think the Washington defense, despite an up and down year, could pull it off here. Yeah, it's probably pretty tough to play Washington in your cash games on DraftKings right. just because you you can't play a lineup without uh, Foster Moreau on DK and cash. On FanDuel, we mentioned like it's it's not that hard to get up to Kittle or, or um, I mean, even like, I don't know if you could get up. I think Gron is Gronk more expensive on FanDuel? I'm not sure. But the point is, like, it's not that hard to have a lineup in cash on FanDuel that doesn't include Renfro or Moreau. Like, they're not such smashes that you have to do that. So I think if you do find yourself in a spot like that, especially where you want to pay up for a tight end, it's pretty easy to just slide in Washington at that salary on FanDuel. Yeah, especially it's, yeah, it's an afternoon game. If you, you got to get weird because your one o'clocks were disastrous, then you can yeah. throw caution to the wind and play it 
but otherwise, yeah, yeah you're probably not on draft. That's a really good point too. If you're if you're late swapping, have that in your back pocket's a really good idea. Uh, this defense will probably be the most popular on the slate yeah. now that Mike Glennon is starting. The line actually moved from four to six in favor of the Dolphins when it was officially uh, announced that Daniel Jones was out. The Dolphins are four thousand dollars on Fanduel, thirty three hundred dollars on DraftKings. Uh, they're projected to allow. It was eighteen. I think it's down to seventeen points now over the last six weeks. The Dolphins lead the league in pressure rate, according to Sports Info Solutions, and that will be against Mike Glennon behind that offensive line that has really been struggling this year. Uh, so Dolphins are, are a slam dunk value play, uh, relatively easy to get to. 4,400 Fandle, 3,300 DraftKings is kind of expensive on DraftKings, but with all the values we've discussed so far today, um, they should be pretty easy to slide into your cash lineups. Yeah, and I think at least when I was looking at the DK values, they were the only value above zero for the defense position so that makes it pretty easy as well yeah absolutely uh love them there before we get into our theory segment today i want to tell you about the easiest most fun way to spice up your fantasy football season it's underdog fantasy and their brand new pick them game just pick over or under on your favorite or least favorite player stats and you could win up to 20 times your money in a single night underdog keeps it super simple with their easy to use website and mobile apps pick between two and five players and you could take home some cold hard cash head over to four for four.com slash underdog to claim your free four for four pro subscription and get ten dollars in bonus cash to play on underdog this weekend matt uh one thing we talk about a lot and we actually have an article that's almost that's that's dedicated to this uh from sam hoppin is pace and plays and it's something that i've been digging into quite a bit over the last couple weeks and and we always kind of briefly mention it when we're talking especially when we're talking about our quarterbacks and games that we're targeting Um, but it's a topic that I do think is worth diving into specifically because I, I do think there is a not a lot but I think there might be some misunderstanding about how to use it and in using plays per game and pace interchangeably, which they aren't. So I want to cover these things, um, pace and plays per game a little bit and just get kind of dig into how we use them in terms of selecting games, selecting players, and just in our overall research process. So uh, talk to me a little bit about just how you define pace and, and plays initially. Sure. Just defining them, pace is how fast a team is playing. Usually we're going to come up with some metric that shows the speed at which they get from one play to the next. Uh, Very common is seconds per play. That's what we're often seeing these days. And uh, associated with that is plays overall. And what we have to remember is that often is associated with passing because of a very simple fact of football that incomplete passes stop the clock. So you can often create situations where pass happy offenses compound on themselves over the course of a game, thus creating huge discrepancies in the number of plays in one game versus the other. You know, what we're looking for ultimately is teams that play fast. And as I said, throw more regardless of the score of the actual game, tend to produce more fantasy points because incomplete passes, again, stop the clock. That equals more plays. Faster pace equals more plays. More plays equals more potential for fantasy points. It really is that simple when we boil it down. But one thing I want to add is I think this is an area that 
I don't know if we want to say it's a next frontier, but I think it is an area where we haven't really honed our processes. You know, one area you could say that we've gotten a lot better as a community is utilizing average depth of target and air yards, where that was a real edge five or six years ago. But pace of play and nailing what games have shootout potential, that's a gray area that we're still getting better at. So I think this is a great thing to dig into today. Yeah, and and we're going to touch on some of those nuances, and I think where there might be a couple edges in that interpretation. Again, people just conflating pace with plays and not understanding how um, they interact with each other and and why there could be some uh, kind of counterintuitive takeaways from it. But before we get into that, just harping on your last point about more plays equals more fantasy points. It is intuitive, but sometimes in football, the intuitive things um, don't always play out that way when we look at the numbers. So there is statistical uh, data. That, that backs up that notion uh, in terms of league-wide average plays per game. An offense averages about 63 plays per game. When teams have been one standard deviation above that this season, when they've ran 72 or more plays in a game, they've averaged 27 points. The league average points per game is 23. So, uh, you know, almost a 20% increase in points per uh, game or points per team when you add one standard deviation in plays run. So that is very important that we are understanding that we are seeking out these teams that are running a lot of plays, not necessarily game that can have a lot of plays we'll get into that more and I, I do think that's one area where people have a lot of errors I, I think we can do a lot better by just looking for a single team that can have more plays but we'll we'll dig into that more and, and that's back to that note fast play fast pace doesn't always mean a lot of plays and again Sam Hoppen writes our article that really covers pace plays breaks it down um, by play expectation and then also goes into more granular granular level like looking at a recent five-week trend versus the whole season trend so people need to be very cognizant about that teams can be fast but not move the ball uh, very effectively and, and or not move the ball fast and still be be worthwhile in terms of getting um, a lot of plays if they're if they're slow so there there is some discrepancy there and, and reading that article every week and understanding how Sam breaks down that nuance is very important. Um, but like to that point, th that kind of ties into things like um, game script and adjusting these numbers, right? Right, right. And that really is the next step. And Sam does a great job in that article, just visualizing things for you. Yeah. It is kind of complicated to break all this down. And honestly, we should just be adding layers of depth not taking them away. So yeah. bear with us because it is really important to game script adjust these pace and uh, you know tied to this this concept is passing numbers really as well because obviously if you know anything about football is that teams that are playing from behind are more likely to pass and more likely to have a sense of urgency thus playing with a faster pace of play. Yeah. So we need to make sure we're contextualizing all of these play numbers and these these pace of play numbers for the game environment that teams find themselves in. Because one thing we know is that while efficiency matters most for quarterback in fantasy football, efficiency really matters for all players because mm -hmm. big games come from extreme efficiency typically on a requisite, just a normal amount of volume. So we want to have the ability to seek players who have the possibility of being efficient 
when the pace of play changes, when things yeah. change. And we, we should use resources that kind of help us get there. We've mentioned Sam's uh, Hop Into Conclusions article, really one of the best ones out there. Football Outsiders was one of the first uh, stat services that were able to offer pace of play stats, uh, seconds per play. And I think they have moved behind a paywall. I did see on awesomeo.com's website, they have an advanced stats tool uh, that has some stats that I've mentioned on this show, game script adjusted rush rate and game script adjusted pace of play. So those are some free resources. I think that Sam's article is right there at the cream of the top. The cream of the crop is in terms of helping you understand these concepts, which can get pretty complicated. Yeah, and, and two things that you mentioned were contextualizing all these numbers and also understanding efficiency versus volume um, on a team level. And again, I... I I asked Sam about his article specifically and to talk about how to contextualize some of these things. One of the obvious ones is like if we look at something like plays per game, uh, uh, an overtime game can really one overtime game can throw things out of whack. So uh, understanding that sometimes we need to strip that out of the uh, the the math. And again, Sam does that a lot in the article when necessary. And then his takeaway or, or the thing that he should note to readers is a lot of times or not a lot of times we need to be looking at the extremes because from whether it's pace or plays per game, most teams are, are, are fitting in this really tight range. Like I mentioned that 63 um, uh, plays per game for an offense. I, I think uh, seconds per play is usually around like 23 or 24 seconds or something like that. And the variation is, is going to be pretty small on either side. So like just because a team is like, I don't know, let's say they're sixth in plays per game. If that's, you know, like a 0.3 standard deviation above the league average, like that doesn't actually really matter, right? So we need to really be like a team like the Ravens who ran so many plays every game or a team like the Seahawks barely run any plays. Those are where we should really be paying attention. Um, and again, we're going to get into that shortly. But again, to your point about efficiency, you, I, I looked at like how plays and, and pace and all these things correlate with actual points scored, which is the thing we care about most yards per play has a correlation with points scored of 0 0.62. That is a enormous correlation. That's huge. When, yeah. When we're, looking, when, when we're looking at, at something like, like uh, just one of these numbers um, that relates to points. And that makes sense, right? If, if they're moving the ball a lot, they should score. Whereas if we look at something like, plays ran per game versus uh, points for the offense, the correlation is, is just 0 0.27. Somewhat significant, worth like looking at, but not not a huge significance. If we look at total plays in a game versus total points, uh, just 0 0.32, looking at both teams combined. So again, pretty close to that, like start to think about it being significant, but nowhere near efficiency. So when when I, I think the takeaway from this specifically is if if we're not looking at these outliers in terms of place per game or pace and you're asking should I be paying attention to it, the answer is if you have a very strong read on an offense's efficiency, you should weight that way more than something like pace or plays per game and, and like offenses such as the Packers come to mind. Uh, That's always the one I bring yeah, up. Yeah, they're they're notorious for being one of the slowest paced teams in the league, which they are. But they actually run a fair amount of plays. They can be very efficient, very quickly because of Aaron Rodgers, which is extremely important. 
And because they are efficient with their, usually with their passing game, they are a team that can be pushed a little bit. And we talked about them the week that it was the, the Aaron Rodgers Vikings, like that stack went off. The reason we were pushing them is because they, if they get a little bit of a nudge with a team that, that will pace up a little bit or will throw with them, they can play that type of game. So they're not like Seattle who isn't running a lot of plays or running a slow pace that isn't going to match at least seattle right now not seattle historically but yeah. seattle right now where they're not going to match up like green bay they can overcome that slow pace and they often do um so again contextualizing these things understanding how important like something something like an offensive efficiency is and should really outweigh something like a pace or a place per game as we're talking about it too and you know uh, maybe I'll be able to back test this a little bit over the course of the off season, but one thing we might be able to incorporate as we get even one level deeper here is air yards into this equation because air yards mm -hmm. per second of play could be a good ratio to look at. Again, I haven't back tested it yet, but if you have a team that is slower paced, but when they do pass, they're taking huge shots like yeah. the example we gave the Packers. Maybe we can find some examples there, uh, but that's for some studies down the road. Personally, I want to add that the pace and plays and uh, mostly passing, uh, passing overall numbers for a game, that is part of my game selection process more so than my player selection process. Not to say that I won't use it at all in the player selection process, but I know that identifying games with more plays, you know, that correlation of 0.32, especially in sports, is nothing to scoff at for total plays versus total points. And while I can't always predict efficiency, if I could, I'd be a millionaire at DFS, I know that if I get more opportunities than my opponents, that's plus EV over time. Mm -hmm. So I have that same old uncertainty about who benefits from an increase in pace or an increase in passing or an increase in plays overall, but it might help me break a tie. Usually at that point in my player selection process, I am a little bit more focused on the matchup, the way the defense is, the personnel on either side. But obviously the amount of opportunities one gets is directly related to the amount of opportunities total in a game. So it's unignorably important. Yeah, I, I think the, one of the reasons I, I wanted to bring up this topic is because I have been digging into these numbers and the, the main reason we use it or, or the the main way i use it is to pick out I'm, I'm really using this on the team level like what teams am i targeting it's mm -hmm. usually trending more towards gpps where can i see some fireworks either on one side of the ball or both side of the ball i i think that one I, again i go back to sam because he's kind of the mastermind on this article at four for four his kind of general takeaway from this like game selection and you saying, how, how do I interpret this in terms of picking which team I like his no general knows a uh, kind of loose rule of thumb is fast teams tend to pull up slow teams when they're facing each other. Or as I, I would put it, it's very unlikely that a slow team is going to drag down a fast team. And I do think that that might be, maybe it's just my bias because it's been one of my errors even into the season, but I often want to look for two teams that are kind of fast or two teams that are kind of up in plays and, and think that's going to kind of boost the game. I think the shift might be towards, we should just really be leaning more towards those offenses that are on the extreme, not looking for two teams that are ranked kind of high or, or even necessarily two teams that are ranked high, but 
find just a couple of offenses. They don't have to be not playing against each other, but just a couple offenses on the week that rank really high in that plays per game metric. And that's where the points are going to come. The reason being plays per game has a huge inverse relationship with a team's opponent. The plays per game versus the opponent's plays per game, a correlation of negative 0.52. So in general, as a team runs more plays, the opposing team runs less plays. And that's where I think there might be a little bit of a, um, of, of a uh, misunderstanding and how we're using these. Cause I think so many people just want to say, I want two fast teams. I want two teams to run a lot of plays. The problem with that is there's only a finite number of plays in an NFL game. It's a timed game, right? So I, I went through and, and looked at this and in, Non-overtime games, when teams have run 70 or more plays, or again, like one standard deviation over the average, their opponent has averaged about 55 games or one standard deviation below. So we see that push-pull, that inverse relationship in that uh, example. And when we look at the games that have had some of the most plays run by an offense, those have often come against opponents that average few games per play below average plays per game, 62 or lower. And again, that kind of makes sense. Think about Washington a couple weeks ago, or I'm sorry, last week, Seattle doesn't run a lot of plays. If there's a finite number of plays in the game and Seattle's only taking 40 or 50 of them, well, Washington's going to take all those other plays, right? Because going back to pace, there isn't a huge deviation in pace in most teams. So most teams are averaging about 23, 24 seconds per play. And again, this shows itself in the numbers. If we look at on average in non-overtime games, how many plays are in a game? On average, there's about 125 total plays per game. The standard deviation is only seven plays. So a huge percentage of NFL games are falling between 118 or we can go down 115 and 135 plays. Like there isn't that much difference. So if you have a team that's running a ton of plays and against a team that isn't running a lot of plays, that's actually the perfect scenario. People kind of might look at that and say, well, that slow team might hurt the other team. No, that slow team or that team that's only going to run 50, 55 plays, they're leaving 80 plays on the table for like the the Falcons this week against Tampa Bay. The Falcons run like 55 plays per game. Tampa Bay might run 80 plays this week. Right. And they're almost helping in a way. I think, you know, I was sitting here laughing as you're breaking down these awesome stats saying what ends up happening, though, is that we end up just tying ourselves to the same offenses over and over so because be they're helping the game environments. Yeah. It's bad for content creators. It's great for people <laughs> yeah, who want to yeah, understand yeah, this game better because yeah. we want to talk about new teams and new players. But you're exactly right. You know, when teams leave it, <laughs> leave the Buccaneers extra plays to run because of their slow pace of play, they're just inviting more opportunity yeah. for chunk plays, which, of course, the Buccaneers are capable of. The other thing we got to mention, too, is that you have to earn more plays in the NFL, right? You yeah. only get four downs exactly. to make another first down. So exactly. you have to have some level of efficiency to even get to the opportunity to be higher in plays per game. So again, it goes back to that first conclusion, which is we're tying ourselves to teams who are successful in doing that. Therefore, because that's going to correlate to more times they get to have plays run. It just means target good offenses, and that will lead us to game environments. I hate to make a simple conclusion out of something pretty complicated, but that's what we're aiming for. No, I, I think that, um, like, 
I think if we're going to like be digging into these uh, things like pace and, and, and plays and really digging in, into these stats, the goal should be to come away with like simple heuristics, simple conclusions. So I do think that's important. And again, just kind of finding finding the blind spots in the research. And again, the, the thing that I think the, the common person does when looking at, at pace or, or looking at plays is they want to find two teams that rank very highly um, from a just from an anecdotal anecdotal standpoint again like if most games are going to have about 120 to 130 plays and you have two teams that run a ton of plays one of those teams might win that battle which means the other team might not have the opportunity again we don't have a big sample on this just because there aren't many matchups where two teams rank super high in this so we don't get a lot of um of empirical evidence on it, but we have some anecdotal evidence. We've seen, we've seen it twice with the Cowboys this year, a couple of weeks ago with the chiefs and earlier in the season with the chargers, where if one team slows the game down or one team controls the ball, that shootout potential really goes away. And where I think this huge advantage, this huge blind spot could be, and we're going to have to keep testing this and, and maybe back tested as well, is that when we see teams that might not rank high in plays per game or in pace, if they're playing a team that is really low in that metric, the team, the op, the opponent could benefit. So for example, Minnesota is a team this week that is very middle of the road in pace and in plays per game, but they're playing a Detroit team that barely runs any plays. So the takeaway or the blind spot might be that teams like Minnesota in this situation could see that outlier week they could be around that 75 play mark because detroit doesn't run a lot of plays because they can't run a lot of plays because they're not good so maybe targeting teams just against slow teams or against teams that don't run a lot of plays might be the the overlooked thing and and hopefully we get a, a couple of weeks to use that to our advantage before the word gets out i love that conclusion yep i mean it it can be oversimplified to play play good players against bad teams mm -hmm. but <laughs> But yeah, I completely agree here. But we saw it last week with Minnesota where San Francisco yep. pushed them and they, regardless of pace of play, they're still able to be in huge shootout games with tons of fantasy scoring. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to um, – I've, I've been digging into these numbers over the last couple of weeks. I'm excited to take some of these lessons um, to to uh, into practice this week, specifically on a couple of those teams that we talked about, Tampa Bay and Minnesota, I think really uh, fit well against some really slow teams this week or teams that don't run a lot of plays, not the same thing, remember. Uh, so uh, that that's a good one. I like that a lot, and I appreciate everybody watching and listening to it. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to the audio version on whatever podcast platform you listen to. If you're listening to podcasts, please check out our YouTube channel. Uh, please like and subscribe on YouTube, the 444 Football Channel. If you are on iTunes, please rate and review. It helps out a ton. And if you haven't signed up for 444 yet, a reminder that our new rest of season price is down to $24 for the DS DFS subscription. Go through Super Bowl. We got a couple Saturday slates coming up. We have playoffs. We have like lots of playoff slates because there's extra games and, and only one team on a buy. So you're actually getting like a bonus value over what you've got in the past season. So we're, we're doing content for almost every slate T still tons of time to to use the tools and win some gpps and if you use the promo code dfs mvp you'll get an additional 10 percent off please check out 
our other live shows as well. Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern time on YouTube is our cash game review. Every Saturday, the DFS Yahoo values with Matt Harmon on the DFS MVP and the Yahoo podcast feeds and the GPP last look show every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern time with Jordan Vanek on the subscriber only discord. Make sure you get signed up for that in the description below. And please Follow us on Twitter if you want more of this fantastic content. 444 is at 444 Football. Matt is at Draftaholic. I'm at TJ Hernandez. We will talk to you guys on Monday.